I've yet to see a player complain about the length of a review when it goes in their team's favor. <laughs> I mean, fair point. Fair you point. Know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Drop. Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Cal, twice weekly, Tuesdays, Thursdays, wherever you get your audio podcasts as well. The NHL on ESPN YouTube. Sad news to report Connor Bedard, broken jaw, successful surgery, but out six to eight weeks. That meant we did not get the Connorverse part two this week and also means, Greg Wyshynski, that we will not see the Bedardian one at the All-Star game. Yeah, we won't. And, you know, this All-Star game, I'm super psyched for it. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I love the idea of it being a limited player skills competition, have like a, a dozen guys all battling each other in hockey-centric skills, no more hockey golf for this edition. And we might, we don't, we're not going to have Bedard. We might not have Jack Hughes, who's week to week for the Devils. It's getting kind of bleak. Got to have some stars in the All-Star game, Arda. Yeah, you certainly do. That's one of the criticisms going into it. You have players that are like 115th in the point scoring race, et cetera, that are in the All-Star game. Listen, I understand it. You need a representative from every team. I get that, but I agree with you. Star power is necessary as well. What does this do? Connor Bedard out six to eight weeks. In your opinion, what will this do for the Calder Trophy race? Yeah, well, first of all, it was a little uncomfortable to see people getting giddy because uh, Bedard got hurt, and that means like Brock Faber has a chance to win the Calder. Um, basically, the way the landscape looks right now is, uh, according to our last NHL Awards Watch, where we ask the actual voters for their ballots, uh, Bedard was unanimous. Bedard was the runaway winner. But we did have a few voters, Arda, that were like, if something happens to Bedard, if he gets injured, then Brock Faber of the Minnesota Wild probably has my vote. Faber has been incredible. He's playing uh, the kind of minutes you'd expect a 10-year pro to play and doing the kinds of things in that lineup that uh, a veteran defenseman would do. Um, he's a legit candidate for the Calder. If you look at the scoring race right now, uh, you have uh, both Marco Rossi and Adam Fantilli less than 10 points behind Bedard. In Rossi's case, he's only about three goals behind Bedard. So given that Connor's going to be out for at least six weeks, he's going to come back and find himself with a pretty considerable distance behind other rookies in the scoring race. So Faber benefits, Rossi and Fantilli benefit, Luke Hughes probably benefits. That being said, Arda, the last time we had to deal with this was when Connor McDavid was a rookie. Mm. And he got hurt, and he was limited to under 50 games on the season. And there was a points-per-game argument to be made for Connor that he didn't win. In fact, it was Artemi Panarin that won the Rookie of the Year that year, and Connor finished third behind Panarin and Shane Gossespierre. Bold prediction. Bold prediction is that Connor Bedard will play enough games to have the voters say, Okay, it's a goals per game. It's a points per game argument against these other rookies. I don't think he's going to lose the Calder despite this injury. If it stretches further than the projection, that's where we get into the territory. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. He, he, I also, he needs to hit like 50 games, at least 50 yes, or maybe yes. even over 50 games. Yes. And then I think there's an argument. But honestly, like... Look, there was there was an argument to be made about Panarin that year against McDavid. Like Panarin was great. I, all due respect to Rossi, all due respect to Fantilli, all due respect to Favor and Luke Hughes. None of them were Connor Bedard. Like Bedard is no, the and he is out of the best as advertised. Yeah. and and it would be 
a shame if this injury took that away from him. Yeah. And I am not convinced the voters will take it away from him, even if it's on a limited games and a, a game, a goals per game, points per game argument. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think he's earned it, uh, especially based on what he's done this season. He just needs more games to pad the stats to really cement it. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Brock Faber because he is somebody who we Absolutely. have not been speaking about in the Calder Trophy race at all, quite frankly. If there was a defenseman we were looking at, it was Luke Hughes. But Brock Faber has really cemented himself into this conversation. So shout, so shout out to him. Yeah, to be a rookie and play like 24 minutes a night is the Amazing. same. Like he's been fantastic. So again, I'm not saying that he's not a worthy Calder candidate. I'm saying Connor Bedard is the rookie of the year. He's the best rookie. Uh, and yeah. an injury shouldn't necessarily take that away from him if he has a commiserate number of games to you know, qualify for the award for lack of a better term in the eyes of the voters from 24 minutes a game to no minutes a game <laughs> for the Philadelphia Flyers, the drama that the hockey world is talking about a different kind of brotherly shove cutter Gauthier <laughs> has been traded to the Anaheim ducks in exchange, in exchange for defenseman, Jamie Drysdale and a 2025 second round pick the exit by all accounts, was acrimonious. The comments from the Philadelphia Flyers camp, top to bottom, uh, were very clear. You don't want to be a flyer? You're not going to be a flyer. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, we, there is a lot to unpack yeah. as it pertains to the cutter Gautier situation. Um, the one thing I do want to mention, uh, Elliot Friedman did mention this uh, with our friend Jeff Merrick on his radio show. Uh, his best, the, what he, the best explanation to what he believes happened from sources that he trusts said that there was a conversation between Cutter Gauthier and the Philadelphia Flyers after BC's season ended, Boston College's season ended last year. And Cutter Gauthier said, I want to turn pro. And the Flyers said, we can't do that at this time because the bonus overages on your contract would make us non-cap compliant. And there might have been a disconnect on how that information was received. The Flyers' stance seemed to be, we're still going to give you a great chance to make the team, perform well at uh, camp, exhibition games next season. There's going to be a spot for you. We're stopping short of guaranteeing it, but it's quite possible. On Cutter Gauthier's side, perhaps the sentiment was, you didn't bend over backwards to make this happen for me. I want to turn pro now. This feels like a slight from the Philadelphia Flyers organization. And soon after that meeting, as is reported publicly, he decided he no longer wanted to play for the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. So wish with all the information that's out there, what is your reaction to Cutter Gauthier and the Philadelphia Flyers and the way things ended? And we still don't know. I mean, like if the sum result of that issue with the Flyers, if it is going to be that contractual thing of him wanting to play, if the sum result of that is a lack of faith in Danny Briere and the leadership of this team, because remember, it wasn't Danny Briere that drafted Cutter Gauthier. It was it was Chuck Fletcher. The team has a new GM and has a new team president. And it could be that, you know, because of that experience, his, his faith was shaken in playing for this organization. The, the thing I don't think is true is the John Tortorella of it all. There's a lot of people who felt that, you know, Gautier didn't want to play for Tortorella. Tortorella infamously is somebody who is hard on young players. Ask uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois about that. And um, 
And maybe he didn't want to play for Torts. Every indication I've gotten, every indication I've seen is that that was not the case, that Gautier didn't have an issue with John Tortorella. So we don't know for sure. I have a feeling that he's going to probably not talk about it until well after his college season is done. Uh, and then maybe, you know, when he joins the Ducks. But, you know, from a hockey trade perspective, Arda, it's really fascinating. I mean, the Ducks did a pretty good work here. Uh, Pat Verbeek, their GM. He did a full evaluation of the team and of its of his system, and he decided that there had to be a premium put on trying to find people who could put the puck in the net in his top six forward group. He was also dealing from a position of strength. The Ducks are extremely deep as far as young players on their blue line to almost make Jamie Drysdale expendable, which is not, not something you'd expect to say about Jamie right. Drysdale a couple of years ago. They had a contentious contract negotiation, did Drysdale and the Ducks during the summer. It, it got resolved right before the season started. Rubik said it didn't play into it. I don't know if I believe him on that, but the bottom line is that from a hockey trade perspective, I think the Ducks did really good for themselves here. The Flyers go out and get themselves a really good young defenseman and now the question, to go back to the Tortorella of it all, Arda, is is Jamie Drysdale going to become a, a defenseman who levels up under the Tortorella tutelage or someone who gets his spirit crushed because he can't play defense to Tortorella's liking? That's the real question for me in the next couple of months. I liked what John Tortorella had to say when asked about Cutter Gauthier. We got the uh quotable moment we got the headline i don't know cutter from a hole in the wall right <laughs> but then immediately after that he said i want to talk about jamie the guy that's coming to my team so yeah. to me that was a master class in how to handle that situation especially for someone like torts if he doesn't want to talk about it he's not going to talk about it so all right i but thought you know, that was great I, I gotta tell you that i think the nhl has really perfected the formula this season if you can give me messy Vanderpump-like drama for the entire regular season and then the best postseason tournament in organized sports, I think I think that's a formula for success. I love the fact that we're as messy as we are this season in the NHL, including okay. this Gautier thing. But in every drama, Arda, there are winners and there are losers. Let's talk about some winners in the Cutter Gautier drama this week. I will start. Please. Philly identity is a winner for me because there's been lots of talk about Philly and Flyers identity in this new era with all of the new faces, relatively new faces as well in coaching, management, executives, etc. The Flyers and Philly identity. And quite frankly, one of the things that has happened as a result of this is the city of Philadelphia, in particular Flyers fans, have all come together in this, <laughs> if you don't like our city, then get the hell out kind of mentality. Oh, yeah. And so this is a massive win. And quite frankly, we could look back on this moment and it could be a turning point in terms of identity because this is a rallying cry for that city. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to that end, one of my winners is Comcast Spectacore Chairman Dan Hilferty, who's the CEO of the Flyers. He went on the Snow the Goalie podcast during the game when all this broke and basically gave fans the green light to give Cutter Gauthier the John Tavares returns to Long Island treatment <laughs> when he comes back to Philly as a member of the Ducks. He basically said, it's going to be a rough ride here and he's earned it because we're Philadelphians and we want people that want to be with us. So good on him. 
endearing himself to the Flyers fan base immediately. And again, like you said, rallying to the cause of the Philadelphia, the aggrieved underdog Philadelphia identity uh, that we all know and love. Winner, the Anaheim Ducks. In oh, yeah. particular, the potential of what the Anaheim Ducks can become. Now you're adding Cutter Gauthier, who has the potential to be a top-line guy in the NHL. And he's joining a team that includes Troy Terry, Mason McTavish, Leo Carlson, Pavel Minchikov, and Trevor Zegris, if he sticks around. Obviously, there's rumors out there that he might be on the trade block as well. But right now, he's still on that team. So that is an impressive young core that Cutter Gauthier is joining. And that could be very, very scary for a lot of teams in the league in a short amount of time. Oh, yeah. Winner for me. Eric Lindros. When's the last time we talked about Eric Lindros this much? When he got in the <laughs> Hall of Fame? That dude was all over social media. People referencing the fact that the Flyers once benefited from a draft pick refusing to play for the team that drafted him. And again, if you're a Flyers fan, you got to like the history. Count the number of Stanley Cup banners the Colorado Avalanche had after the Lindros trade versus how many the Flyers have. So maybe Philly, again, gets to see the other side, how the other half lives in a trade in which somebody didn't want to play for them. Can I tell you my super random first thought when I heard about the Cutter Gauthier drama yeah. was I can't wait in 25 years when Cutter Gauthier uh, joins a Philadelphia sports talk show and after all the drama finally puts on a Philadelphia Flyers jersey, <laughs> just like Eric Lindros did, like well after his career, went back to Quebec and wore the Nordiques jersey uh, in a full circle moment. Maybe we'll show the picture right now, but I, time, I don't know why that's stuck heals. in my head, but it's just hilarious. Time heals everything. You're time right. Everything. But that time uh, is not now. Uh, yeah, losers. Indeed. Losers. <laughs> Go ahead, bud. Batteries. More specifically... <laughs> How people misinterpreted Frank Saravalli's tweet about J.D. Drew and batteries, attributing it to uh, Dan Hilferty. Uh, it, it, I, this is not Frank's fault, by the way. This is the fault of people that just read a tweet and did not watch the video. So I'm just making the way we consume social media and the way we just like draw lines from A to B to C, uh, yeah. creating these inventing these scenarios and just running with them as if they're fact. I know there's a much larger problem there on social media, but I'm saying this is a specific example here. To me, that's a loser in this whole thing. Not, neither Frank nor the president of the Flyers is asking people to, to throw nine volts at Cutter Gauthier when he comes back. To exactly. Don't even, don't even give him the snowball and Santa Claus treatment either. Uh, to that end, delusional conspiracy theories are my loser. Uh, we had a whole situation this week where... Kevin Hayes got dragged into the fray by a Philadelphia Flyers podcast, floating the idea that he was the influential voice that made Gautier not want to play in Philadelphia. Hayes immediately, through uh, ex-players and through uh, conversations with Danny Briere, the Flyers GM, uh, said that is not the case. The Flyers believe him. Um, it was a, a really weird and nasty situation kevin hayes saying that he received death threats he received messages referencing his deceased brother like i swear to god if if, if you consumed the cutter gautier drama and your response to that was to send a message like that to kevin hayes um to those fans you are the absolute scum of the earth and an embarrassment to the sport i cannot believe that that's where 
this situation went this week, but lo and behold, it did. Disgusting behavior. And Kevin Hayes had a very long response about it when asked. And quite frankly, it's disappointing he even had to address it at all uh, based on just a comment on a on a podcast, uh, his fingerprints all over, et cetera, and it blew up into this. Uh, to that end, my next loser is communication in general. Now, I have yeah. a now everything you said falls into this. Uh, everything I said about uh, batteries and how we consume uh, how we consumed uh, tweets on social media also falls into this. But specifically, what I'm referencing here is the communication between Cutter Gauthier and the Philadelphia Flyers organization near the tail end, specifically the World Juniors. Team travels to Sweden, tries to meet with them. Uh, player ghosts the team. Now, yeah. we have not heard from Cutter Gauthier as we record this. That is an important part to this. At some point, I assume he will address this in talking to the media and will tell his side of the story. Until then, all we can do is speculate based on the information that's available. Yeah. All we know is that the um, there was no conversation that was had at World Juniors. Could there have been? Uh, apparently, what happened was he had informed the team over Zoom that he didn't want to play for them anymore. After World right? Championships, yeah. After, right. So, like, but the thing is, could there have been one more in-person conversation? Did did both parties deserve yeah. to give the others that one last and conversation in person? Because Probably, the, fly the maybe. Flyers went the Flyers went through this whole process thinking you've changed your mind once, like maybe you change it again. And, sure. and I think that's a fair assessment when the guy's been wishy-washy about the whole thing. And you you guys are in an agreement, right? Like this team has your professional rights in the NHL. Might be worth the conversation. Yeah. And again, this is based on everything we know at this present time. Yeah. So last loser for me is Danny Briere, unfortunately. Uh, a guy I like, a guy I hope does well in that job with the Philadelphia Flyers. But look, Cutter Gauthier was the second best prospect in the Flyers system. Briere didn't draft him, but he's the GM that lost him. And when you're trying to convince your fans that you're on the right track, that you're building this thing, that you're that you know you've got the the players in your system to to believe in going forward, and then you you fumble a guy out out of the organization for whatever reason, it's a stumble, and especially a stumble for a guy that's still earning his stripes as a GM in Philadelphia. Uh, the whole thing obviously hinges on what Jamie Drysdale ends up being for the Flyers. God forbid it doesn't work out how bad this looks for Briere. You can't convince a guy to play for you, but you still have to wear it if he decides he doesn't want to play for you after saying that he did. And so Danny Briere, I think, comes out as a loser in this situation. So again, I can't wait to hear uh, Cutter Gauthier's side of things when he finally does address it uh, the next time he has a press conference or speaks to the media. Someone who spoke to us was his world junior teammate, Isaac Howard. And boy, was this a fun <laughs> interview. Uh, definitely listen, especially if you are a fan of Chipotle. What would you do if you got a full year's supply of Chipotle? We ask Isaac Howard that exact question and more. Enjoy. Joining us now on The Drop, Isaac Howard, a.k.a. The Iceman, a.k.a. and more importantly, gold medal winning forward for the U.S. men's world junior team, Team USA, victorious 
at this year's World Junior Hockey Championship, selected 31st overall by the Tampa Bay Lightning, joining us now on the drop. Isaac, first of all, congratulations. You've had a few days now to reflect on the tournament. You get to hold that gold medal in your hand. My first question is, where will the gold medal go? Are you going to put it on a mantle? Are you going to give it to the parents? Like, Where, where does it go? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I haven't thought about that yet, to be honest. Um, I'm thinking probably just hanging it, you know, next to my bed, just so I can kind of see that, that every day. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a fun thing to look at. So I'll probably just put it up on like a hanger, hang it in my room. Motivation. Nice. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So the game was awesome against the Swedes, obviously very intense. What was the deal with the brawl at the end of the game? And on top of that, how would you describe your teammate Lane Hudson's fighting style? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the emotions were high, obviously, in that gold medal game. I think, um, you know, they were kind of looking for something at the end of the game. And, um, you know, a couple of things led to another. And then, you know, Huddy, Huddy got in a nice little scrap there. And, uh, you know, I thought he did good. Like, he kind of he dodged a, a big, a big, uh, big right hand and was able to take the guy down. And, that was kind of just added to, you know, how fun the win was. And, and uh, you know, everyone on the bench was going nuts and, and loving it. Now, Isaac, did did he dodge it or did he just kind of miss him? Because, you know, Lane. I like to say, uh, I like to say Lane dodged him. Lane <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isaac, uh, one of your more famous quotes was with our colleague Emily Kaplan at the draft uh, talking about your fashion sense. You saying you're the best looking guy there uh, moments after you were selected in the NHL draft. My very important question to you is, were you the best looking guy on Team USA? <laughs> um, Yeah, from a non-biased uh, point of view, I'll have to say yeah on that one. Um, just, you know, stick to what I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love, love the consistency, Isaac. That's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of of your team, man, obviously this week, one of the biggest stories in hockey, Cutter Gauthier deciding that he is going to peace out, not play for the Philadelphia Flyers. They trade him to the Anaheim Ducks. What was your reaction to seeing that whole thing go down with Cutter this week? Yeah, I was a, I was a little surprised. Um, you know, I didn't know, obviously, that that was in the works or, or anything like that. And uh, but I guess, you know, that's that's a side that can happen. You know, it's a business and trades happen and whatnot but you know i was definitely definitely a little bit surprised could you ever imagine knowingly making yourself public enemy number one to the fans in philadelphia like cutter just did <laughs> yeah i mean he's uh i mean at least at least he's got a strong strong mind to him i think he'll he'll be just fine take me into the day of the draft isaac i'm very curious about you were selected 31st overall right so you're right at the border of the first and second round but you are a first round pick but I'm curious, in the selections leading up to the end of the first round, how much are you thinking about that? How much does that matter to you to be selected at the end of the first round versus the second round? Does that go through your mind? What were your emotions like as the selections continued to come down near the end of the first round? Yeah, I mean, it was a big relief. Like, I didn't want to have to go through that process again. You know what I mean? Wake up and, and head back down to the rank the next day. So I was just... You know, waiting to hear my name called, and you know when it finally happened, it felt unreal. And you know, you, it's such a long process. Like I feel like I was there for like four, four and a half hours. You know, just waiting because you know once you're there in person, it just goes by so slow. And you know, finally when I got my name revealed, it, it felt awesome. 
Art is Canadian, so he's going to hate me bringing this up again. But like USA Hockey is kicking tail all over the place right now. You guys were thinking World Cup, whatever they're going to call it in 2025, we'll win that. Olympics 2026, the Hughes, the Kachucks, we'll win that. What does yeah. it feel like to be coming up at a time when the U.S. is really making its big move internationally? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. You know, you can see it kind of you know, throughout the whole country, you know, each you know, kind of throughout all, all the states, there's players, you know, coming up and, you know, just the, the depth our country has, has gotten is, is awesome. And, you know, it's just becoming a, a, a really cool and exciting hockey country, which is, which is awesome to be a part of. Isaac, I'm literally only wearing this don't puck with the USA shirt in respect <laughs> to you and your accomplishments with team USA. Okay. I just want you to know that. <laughs> all right. I like that. <laughs> um, All right. The big elephant in the room, we have to talk about this. So the team gets free Chipotle for a year. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I have a lot of small questions about this. First of all, do they give you a card? Like, how, how do you earn? How do you redeem the free Chipotle for a year? It's uh, It starts next week for us, and it just goes through our through our phone. So right on our app, they just load it in every day, and I'll be, I'll be looking to abuse that for sure. <laughs> Is it unlimited? Like, can you go three times a day if you wanted to? I, that I, I don't I haven't I don't know yet I haven't gotten the full details um but I think it's either like one entree a day or one swipe a day I, I'm not sure yet completely. What's your order? What's your go-to order there? Normally it's a bowl, white rice, um, double chicken, black beans, uh, guac, cheese, sour cream, and then the vinaigrette, of course, right. to top it off. Solid on the on the white rice. Love that. Uh, yep. You stay away from the fajita toppings, which I think is a little bit odd, but to each his own. Not uh, a fan of those. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about hockey players in Chipotle, man? Like, not only are there, is like Jack Hughes landing, you know, endorsement deals, but I know like the boys on on the U.S. junior team, like you call it a uh, chipper, I think, right? You go yeah. every week. Like, what is it about hockey players in Chipotle? It's just like, I don't know. It's just like the perfect little meal after a skate or a workout or a long day like you just want to go get a chipper bowl and it's nice that it's kind of you know not like deep fried or anything you're getting like real meat chicken or steak and it's kind of just it's the package so many guys like chicken and rice and then you go to you know chipotle has that and it's and it's tasty so <laughs> i we we have to set up an interview with you after a year to do a deep dive on how the year unfolded. <laughs> Isaac, I'm, I'm booking you right now for a year from next week so that we can hear about your year-long journey with Chipotle. There was an NBA player, Isaac, Mikhail Bridges, that said, I've been eating Chipotle every day for the last 10 years. So, like, this is, I mean, like, yeah, I, I know you relate to this. I'm just curious, though, like, do you think you will be going every day? Like, do you think you will be going to Chipotle every day? Or do you already go to Chipotle almost every day? I would say I go to Chipotle like three, four times a week right now, and I'll probably go five, six times a week. I'm sure like g game days would be the only like day I imagine I don't go. Damn. Gold medal by the bed, Chipotle in the tummy. That's what being <laughs> yeah. a champion is, ladies and gentlemen. Last one for me, Isaac. When you think about your chance to come and play in this league at some point, play in the NHL, is there one guy you've been dying to look across the ice at? Is there one guy that you've kind of is your dream guy to play against when you make the league one day? I mean, there's there's a ton of ton of players, obviously, like not not one that, you know, particularly is in my mind. But, you know, just once you're finally on the, on the big stage playing in the NHL and, you know, there's kind of superstars, you know, all over the league and, you know, it'll definitely be 
really cool to to look over and face off on you know some guys that I grew up watching, and you know, I think that's one of the coolest parts about you know becoming a player in the NHL. Who was your guy be- growing up? I, I really liked Ovechkin. He was one of them. You know, I loved loved his you know swagger, his goal scoring. Like the, he was just really fun to watch. Um, so he, he might be one that would be cool to play against. What do you think it'll be like uh, playing in uh, in the Wild Arena? Yeah, it, it, it'll be sweet. I mean, I, I, I that's the rank I grew up watching. Um, you know, it's just like 25 minutes from my house. So me and my brothers and, and parents would always haul down there and, you know, catch games. And, you know, it's a really fun barn. So if I get the chance to play in there, that'd be that'd be unreal. Well, Isaac, you're uh, continuing on in college, obviously, Michigan State behind you. Uh, congratulations again on winning the gold medal with Team USA and continued success and hope to see you in the show very soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you. As you know, the National Football League playoffs start this weekend with the wild card round, and there are plenty of pigskin fans in the National Hockey League. One of them is Charlie McAvoy of the Boston Bruins, who is not only the team's fantasy football commissioner, but also a massive New York Giants fan. So we asked Charlie if he wanted to be the official NFL playoff prognosticator of a hockey podcast, and he said yes. So here are the Charlie McAvoy NFL playoff Stone Cold Locks of the Weekend, which perhaps will one day be sponsored by McAvoy Plumbing and Heating of Nassau County. The Cleveland Browns over the Houston Texans, the Kansas City Chiefs over the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills over the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys over the Green Bay Packers, the Detroit Lions over the Los Angeles Rams, and the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe we should start calling him Chalky McAvoy based on how many favorites he picked. Follow his picks each week here on The Drop and join Charlie for a live Super Bowl pick the week of the big game. If it takes you 15 minutes to to determine if it's offside or not, um, it probably doesn't really matter. Um, You know, um, you know, I talked to the linesman after ultimately it's not a, not their call, I guess. You know, obviously they said it came down from the league, but you know, you zoom in, you zoom in, you keep zooming in until you can't zoom in anymore, and I guess it's offside. So, um, you know what? Um, so these these are calls that uh, you know change games, and ultimately it didn't go our way. You know that was a big call, um, but would have really really hurt them. And um, I thought it should have been onside. I mean. It's kind of possession too, right? Like the argument of possession, um, that whole debate can start again. Um, you know, it was such a close one. You'd like to see it. You know, I, I think the NHL uses the analogy dead wrong, right? They, you know, if it's if it's dead wrong or something like that, I don't know what they say. Like they want it to be clear and obvious, right? Um, that one's certainly not clear and obvious. So that was Connor McDavid talking about the controversial offside call. Uh, the goal was called back. It was ruled a no goal, and Connor McDavid had some thoughts about it. First of all, I want to say that it was very refreshing to hear Connor McDavid uh, give his thoughts at length like that. Wish uh, it was yeah. very nice to hear him uh, with a very insightful response like that, uh, being a superstar in the league. So that was nice to hear. Arda, I've been saying for years. I had a really good conversation with Connor once at the NHL Awards in Vegas, and like I saw it. 
that this kid, if he wanted to be the Che Guevara of NHL labor, he could be it. Like he's got it all there. He's got a passion for it. He's got a passion for how good the game should be. He's got a passion for how the players should be treated. If he ever wanted to just be, you know, grab the flag and be the leader for these these players and like labor talks or something, I think Connor's the guy to do it. So that was an MVP caliber response from often the MVP in the league. The MVP of our broadcasts is our rules analyst, Dave Jackson, who joins us right now uh, to talk all things offside. Dave, at some point, we're going to have to bring you back uh, to do a whole career retrospective, do a cool deep dive into your career because you had an illustrious one. Uh, but thank you for joining us here specifically to talk about uh, the just just a deep dive into offsides. Uh, you spoke about it at length on the broadcast, the Oilers and Blackhawks game, uh, the idea of possession and what exactly was happening in the 10 to 15 minutes as they were deliberating this call. So uh, just 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 take us through exactly for, for those that are still a little murky on what the process is like, like take us through exactly what was happening in that time as they were reviewing everything. Sure. And <clears throat> well, you put me in the same uh, MVP category as, as Connor McDavid. So I'm honored. <laughs> uh, I, I could not in my, in my wildest dreams hope to be uh, considered in the same uh, breath as him. So, You're our MVP. so I'm dis I'm disavowing your comments there. Um, and I got to say, I, I've nothing but respect for Connor McDavid. Um, I was, fortunate enough to still be on the ice working when he came into the league for his first uh, few seasons. Um, great player. Uh, one of the best I've ever seen. Possibly, as Ray Ferraro said, uh, end up being the best player ever. Um, was he a talker? Like, did he talk with you a lot? No, he left us alone. Left us oh, alone. Wow, okay. he, he, he'd ask for explanations. Uh, always respectful. Uh, and never, I have nothing negative to say about Conor McDavid. Uh, just, uh, just a leader, uh, prince of a person. Uh, but I will say, and I, I'm full transparency, I didn't get to hear or haven't heard his press conference, but I, I have read snippets of it on um, on Twitter. And uh, this isn't to him directly, but just in general, I've yet to see a player complain about the length of a review when it goes in their team's favor. <laughs> I mean, fair point. Fair you point. Know, I've, I've I've never seen a team get the goal uh, allowed to stand, and they get credit for the goal, and then go off afterwards. But how long it took to get it, you know, to get there. So um, there's a little bit sometimes. It takes too long. Obviously, it takes too long. It goes against you. Um, and I, I don't see any other way. Now, nobody likes reviews. I mean, if we had our our way in a perfect world, we'd just play hockey, and every call would be right, and there'd be no need to review these calls. If we're going to have video review, especially on offside, it makes no sense to not get it right. Um, my my only, uh, and I've been saying this for a number of years, the game wasn't designed, the rule wasn't designed to be held to these tolerances of millimeters, a fraction of inches. Uh, it's almost an impossible task to say, we're going to make sure that nothing crosses that blue line a millimeter offside. Now, having said that, we could fix it by saying, let's put a line 12 to 18 inches inside the blue line, a thin line, like, uh, you know, like the, the goal line. And if the skater puck hasn't reached that second line, there's no review allowed. So wow. you're still going to have the same tolerances, but guess what? Linesmen don't often miss 12 to 18 inch offsides. So the, the, the frequency of it would be way, way lower. Mm. Um, 
man. And that that might that might be a, you know some suggestion there. You just go, yeah, yeah, maybe that was outside by a, by a half an inch, but you're not allowed to review it because it hasn't hit the, you know, it's kind of in the no fly zone right there. It's but, just, hey, but it's it's going to bring up the same arguments that we had about when they wanted to put the thin line inside of the goal cage, which is that you know you're putting more stuff on the ice. It's like putting another another column in the standings. Like you just confuse people coming to the game more and more with putting more stuff on the ice. Potentially. The thing, the thing about offside review I wanted to ask you, though, Jax, is like the reason we have it is because Matt Duchesne was a country mile offside on a goal that was scored. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's why we have it, because it was so egregious. You're right. That has become very myopic. I personally don't think we have the technology to really break things down pixel by pixel to get it right all the time. Should we get rid of it? Should should we Should we say, you know what? We tried it. It didn't necessarily work. And at the end of the day... Human error will lead to more goals, which leads to more excitement, which leads to more people watching hockey. Well, we all love scoring, right? Yeah. So, but I think the genie's out of the bottle. I yeah. think the technology is there. And I would I would say that 99.9% .9 of the time, we get it right, even if it takes a little while. And I think it was only five minutes. I heard people saying 15 minutes. To, I think it was only five minutes, give or take. Um but if we get rid of all that kind of stuff, then you you might not need me. So I'm all for the, the review <laughs> process. Yeah, slow more, down, more tennis. The, but Jack, slow more, down. <laughs> but more to the point, though, like I think you you hit the nail on the head with the genie out of the bottle. The problem now is that if you do decide that human error is okay, and it's game seven of the final, and the the, the cup winning goal is scored on a play that should have been whistled offside, you're going to have every single person that's like, get rid of it now, be like. Well, now you have an unjust champion because they couldn't review it. Like you're right on that score. Like it's hard to go back to human error once you've decided that there's a remedy for it. People ask me now how the game has changed from when I did my first NHL game in 1990 versus when I retired or now even working in 2024, how the game has changed. Now, you could write a book on how it's changed, the hooking, the holding, the speed, the conditioning, the athletes. But the biggest thing is there was like, there were many games where the guy would come in before the game and tell us, yeah, we're, there's no TV tonight. It, it's just not on TV. Right. And, and, the, and the games that were on TV, sometimes there was one camera or right. two cameras. Now, like you said, Greg, if that offside gets missed in game seven overtime of the Stanley Cup final, everybody, including both teams, knows it was missed. The only guy that doesn't know it was the linesman who missed it. Yeah. And that's kind of unfair to him when the technology is available and unfair to the team that loses when the technology is available. So, so like I said, I think the genie's out of the bottle. I think it's here to stay. And as I said earlier, when it goes in your favor, you seldom complain about how long the review <laughs> takes. It's true. How about the, how about this idea? This was, this is always floated at, around whenever maybe it was five minutes or less jacks. I mean, it certainly felt longer for a lot of people, but sure. The idea of a countdown clock, like Connor McDavid's point was, listen, if it takes that long to determine whether it was offside or not, then it probably defeats the purpose in a way. That was like sort of his what he was intimating, right? The fact that it just took so long or at least in his mind. So what about and, and hey, this would be dramatic television, right? Imagine like, all right, there's an offside review, but. <laughs> X amount of minutes on the clock, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, whatever. Yeah, it's you like determine. the draft. And you only if have a certain amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. And if you yeah. can't 
determine it conclusively by the time that clock expires, then the tie goes to the runner and it's a goal. It would make for great television. I I, I, <laughs> I, I agree with you totally. There is sort of a, a countdown clock for the teams. Now, they can't take as much time as they want. You know, the referee comes over. Now, the more important the game is, for example, a playoff game versus a game in October, um, a goal late in the game versus the first period, or, uh, um, a, you know, a tying goal or a go-ahead goal, you might get 45 seconds versus 30 seconds. There's there's no real clock. It's The referee allows the coach to look at it because the last thing you want to do as a referee is say to the coach, okay, that's it. We're shutting you down. And it turns out that the call was wrong and he could have reviewed it. Right. So you don't want to be the guy that does that. It's too important. You want to get the call right. But you do have a certain time frame there. You know, it's, call it a minute or less. Usually it's 30 seconds, 45 seconds or less. And the reason for that is you don't want the teams having three or four minutes to break it down and then decide they're not going to challenge. That's the philosophy is what we've been talking about. You look at it. If you look at it once, you look at it twice, you look at it three times, and you're not sure, then you probably shouldn't be reviewing it. All right, so here's my question. The league, the league has told me time and time again that the referees like video review. They like the idea of there being a, a check and balance on things they might have missed on the ice. Dave Jackson, you are not wearing stripes. You have a guitar behind you. You are just Dave yep. Jackson, a dude now. You're not Dave Jackson referee. Yep. Do the referees really like video review? Well, I can, I can think back on the monumental screw-ups I had in my career, and I would kill the bad video review back then. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know what? I love video review. I, I, I really do because for many reasons. Going back to the calls I missed, 90% of them could have been rectified by video review. And the sleepless nights I had, the lines on my face right now, I'd look 20 years younger if I'd had video review <laughs> during my call. But, but I think going back, especially when you look at goals being scored, it's not so much major penalties or, or double minus pricing. It's goals being scored. There's, there's, there's so few goals and teams fight so hard to score a goal. When a goal is scored and everybody in the world knows that it was in or not, and the referee is the only guy on the ice that's not allowed – it's unfair to the game. It's unfair to the teams. It's unfair to the fans. And it's unfair to the guys in the ice if that technology is available and everybody gets to see it except the referee. So I think video review is great. I really do. And it's all about getting the call right. I'm All I'm thinking about right now, Jax, is doing like a spoof infomercial with you for like anti-aging cream, but it's video review. It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm Dave Jackson here to talk about Video review, uh, right. referees looking twenty years younger. Like just That's do a right. whole like infomercial all, on it. <laughs> all this, all this yeah. time, we thought it was Botox, but it's the situation. No, That's no, really the it's key not. To, it's not a daily. It's not a daily uh, moisturizer uh, routine. <laughs> it's not Botox. It's video review. Exactly. But what I will say, and uh, Greg, going back to your question, people ask me, do linesmen just if it's close to they just wave it now, because if they're wrong, it can right. be overturned. Right. Right. They don't. Uh, my my son's an NHL linesman. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be the guy who gets overruled 15 times a year. Oh, there was a goal scored last night. It was challenged. It was overruled. Who was the linesman? Oh, it was this guy again. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Linesmen don't. They don't. Uh, in the heat of the moment, they uh, they 
are so proud of the job they do, they want to be right. They want to be right every call they make. So when they're on that blue line deciding whether it's onside or offside, they're not thinking about, well, I'm not sure. I'm going to let it roll to review. It doesn't happen. Same with referees and goalie interference. Mm-hmm. You go with your gut. You make the call in real time. Just because video review, it's great. If you got the call wrong and video review bails you out, great. No one's mad at you. So the the, the mechanism worked. But in the eyes of your bosses, you were still wrong. Yeah. And yeah. you don't want to be the guy that's wrong no. half a dozen, a dozen times a year. Yeah. So, no, they don't defer to video replay. They get the call right in their mind on the ice in real time. This is why we love you, Dave Jackson. Uh, all this, the wealth of knowledge and information uh, that you give to us. Uh, every single broadcast, uh, it is invaluable. And that's why I called you the MVP of ESPN, and I will stand by that. Uh, thanks for joining us. Please come back so that we can do a deep dive on your career because I have a ton of questions about that. And I'm sure a lot of people actually have questions, uh, just referee questions in general. So maybe we should open it up to have people Love ask it. you random questions about well, being a referee that, in the that, NHL. That would be great. You put a little segment in there, ask the ref, and we'll answer We'll answer rules questions. There Perfect. it is. We just got a name for it. Fantastic. Jax, thanks for the time, man. You rock. See you guys. Thanks. That was a really fun episode of The Drop. Thanks to Dave Jackson for joining us. Thanks to gold medalist Isaac Howard for jumping on the show. Uh, Remember, we are twice weekly, Tuesdays and Thursdays, wherever you get your audio podcasts and the NHL on ESPN YouTube. In the meantime and in between time, have a good weekend. We will see you on Tuesday. I'm going to Chipotle. Bye. (laughs) 